All right, if you could begin making your way back to your seats, that would be great. And uh, if you got your Bibles this morning, whether a print version, whether it be a, a digital version, go ahead and grab those and head on over to Psalm 32. Uh, this morning we're hitting Psalm 32. Next week we're hitting Psalm 33, and that will wrap up our summer in the Psalms. And then on the 28th, the 28th is a bit of a big Sunday for us. Uh, again, we have the opportunity to bring in um, a, a Bible memorization ministry that is known uh, by the name Piercing Word. And we're going to welcome them in on the 28th to help us launch our series in the book of James. And so what you can expect on the 28th is uh, two individuals, I believe, will dramatically recite the entire book of James for us. And uh, we'll go through chapters 1 to 5. And it'll be about 15 minutes or so. And then they're going to take about 10 to 15 minutes and then give us some tips and tricks on how to memorize God's Word as well. So we're going to have the opportunity to see them memorize God's Word or recite God's Word. And then they're going to walk us through uh, how you can, can do that and how you can begin with one verse and maybe work your way up to a book the way that they have. And then uh, we're also that morning going to give you a Bible memorization schedule for our series in James. And uh, the way that's going to work and the way that will work best for you is that if you, have, uh, if you have a partner, whether it be your spouse, somebody in your home, parents, children, just a friend that you each week would plan to call, uh, that you together plan on memorizing that week's verse and then you just recite it to one another. And whether that be on a Wednesday night when you come here for Grace Family or whether it's that Sunday morning or you call or what a texting probably is not going to work because um, well, anyways. Uh, so you, you recite it to one another and you have the opportunity to just have, have some accountability uh, in the memorizing of God's Word. And so we'll have a, a verse for each week of that series, and uh, that should be a great way for us to put into practice some of the tips and tricks that Piercing Word is going to give us. Um, so I let you know a couple weeks ago, and just by way of reminder, they're coming for free. We're going to pay some, some mileage for them to put gas in their tank to help them get home, um, but they do ask that we take a love offering, and so uh, what that means is that uh, anything over and above what you would normally come and, and give that Sunday morning, um, just put that aside and we'll have, a, we'll have a, 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 an offering plate that you can stick that in. Um, $5 is certainly fine if you're able to do that, if you can do more, that's great as well, but they as a ministry are not interested in money. They will come for zero dollars, um, but we have the opportunity to just say thank you in that regard, and so I want to just continually make you aware of that. Uh, this morning as we get into Psalm 32, well let me just say this one, one last thing. Uh, in your bulletin there was a misprint. There is not a bonfire this Wednesday. Um, that was last Wednesday, and it got reshifted to the Fellowship Hall. Um, so that was a misprint. I 
don't need to forget to say that. Some of you will just end up at Tick Ridge all by yourself. Um, maybe the Popers would have s'mores for you if you did show up, so it could be a win-win. Um, anyways, but it's not happening officially. Uh, so in Psalm 32, uh, there's a couple things that we just need to say out on the front side of this, and then we'll read the psalm, and then we'll pray together. Um, what we're going to see in Psalm 32 is, is really David working through and walking through uh, the realities of grace and the realities of sin. And we're going to see five different graces that David outlines for us. He, in the middle, interjects a command to us. Uh, but we're going to take a look at the grace of nothingness, the grace of godly sorrow, the grace of forgiveness. He interjects then his command. You have then the last two graces, the grace of the Lord's instruction in the grace of God's steadfast love. Now, in full disclosure, the word grace doesn't actually show up in this chapter at all. Now, to get the word grace, and, and just to kind of show you where I don't think it's a stretch to pull it in, if you look at Psalm 31, verse 9, you may not even have to turn the page, but if you look at Psalm 31, verses 9 and 10, you see David writes this, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress, my eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent in sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. That language is almost identical to language in Psalm 32 verses 3 and 4. And so I just want to let you know I'm, I'm pulling the word grace in from another passage, but I think it does make biblical sense to do so, and we're going to see David walk through these five different aspects of God's grace, perhaps aspects of God's grace that we don't normally think about. So what is grace? How do we define grace? Our church's name is grace. You have the word grace all over the screen. Grace is, show, is a word that shows up in the New Testament. Let's just briefly define the word grace. Grace is receiving what you do not deserve. Oftentimes, grace and mercy are not contrasted with each other, but are complementary to each other, where mercy, I, I said that wrong, I think I said grace incorrectly, mercy is receiving what you don't deserve, grace is not receiving what you do deserve. So grace is not being given something that you do deserve. So where you and I deserve judgment, where you and I deserve God's wrath, we have been given grace we have received from him things because he is merciful to us and we're going to see God's grace on display and how he interacts with us and how God's interaction with us is all of grace Psalm 32 most likely was written as a companion psalm to Psalm 51 the story of David at one point during his reign as king includes him having an affair with a young woman in his kingdom by the name of Bathsheba. 
He watched her bathing. Probably he was on the rooftop of his palace. He saw her out bathing where she would have been caring for her needs and he desired her and he, she wasn't his wife. And he, as king, went and took her and then she became pregnant. And he, to try and cover up his mistakes, had her husband come in from the battlefield, tried to get him to just go and be with his wife, a little bit of a battle vacation, if you will, and Uriah was unwilling to do so. He was unwilling to do so. David wasn't able to cover up his mistake and try to pass off the birth of this baby onto the rightful husband. And so, because Uriah wasn't willing to do so, David had that man sent to the front lines of the battle. And that man certainly, in very quickly, lost his life. David then took Bathsheba into his home after she was done mourning the death of her husband. And he which most commentators or some commentators believe for about the better part of a year was unwilling to recognize before the Lord that what he had done was wrong. But he's confronted by a prophet in 2 Samuel 13 and he does then repent of his actions and he pens Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was a psalm of repentance that David wrote Many believe that Psalm 32 was the companion piece, that as David looked back at those events, at his unwillingness to repent, at then his repentance that he records in Psalm 51, as he looks back at those events, he writes Psalm 32. And so what we will see is David really looking in the rearview mirror at what he thinks about and as he thinks back to that time in his life that he was unwilling to recognize and repent of his sin against the Lord. And we'll see in this psalm, as I said and as is on the screen, five different aspects of God's grace on display. So let's go to the psalm, let's read the psalm, and then we'll pray and then we'll break down the psalm here a little bit. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray. God, as we draw near in your word here and think of it and through it, we pray that you would give understanding and insight, that you would that you would come in and help us understand and you would make sense of what David wrote and and how this is just what we need here today. You've brought us to this point here this morning in this chapter, in these verses, to consider these things. Lord, help us to think well. And we pray and ask that you would come and teach and you would guide. Help us to, to hear and understand. God, help us to marvel at your grace and how you, you came after David, and you, you, you cleansed him, and you forgave him. God, I pray that you would come and work in our hearts in the same way. And we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Well, David begins in verses 1 and 2 with regards to the grace of nothingness. And that's what he begins and leads off and says in Verses 1 and 2 where he writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That word blessed means happy. It's the idea of I'm glad and I'm joyful and life right now is good. There's a blessing that I have received because of what the Lord has done. And David notes the blessing that he has received is because the Lord has forgiven his transgression. And look at verses 1 and 2, and look at the words David uses to describe his sin, firstly. In verse 1, part 1, he calls his transgression is what is forgiven. Right after that, he mentions his sin and mentions the covering of the Lord. In verse 2, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no Deceit. David uses these vivid words to describe what he had done wrong. He's willing to own his actions and he's willing to call them as they are. They are a transgression against the Lord. It's sin, it's iniquity. And he says that there is no deceit, there's no lying about what's going on. David here is finally ready to acknowledge that what he did was wrong. He's willing to call it and see it as God sees it. He's unwilling now at this point to say, I don't need forgiveness. He's unwilling at this point to say, what I did wasn't that bad. He's ready to own it. And he writes as he looks back in the rearview mirror in regards to owning what he had done. So why the word nothingness? Because that word doesn't actually appear in either one of these verses either. The word nothingness is there because Psalm 32 begins with this explosion of joy that David has as he writes and recounts the forgiveness, the covering, and the counting of the Lord. He thinks through and considers the totality of God's forgiveness against the backdrop 
of his sin. And David gives every appearance that he is now clearly, clearly and fully recognizing the spiritual condition that he was in. And he's celebrating God's forgiveness, fully acknowledging his transgression, his sin, and his iniquity. So the word nothingness begins to be appropriate because David celebrates God's work in his life and gives no or takes no credit in regards to anything that he did. If you notice the words that David uses in those verses, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, that's an act of the Lord. Whose sin is covered, an act of the Lord. Against, or blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Again, an act of the Lord. David does not come to this point and write these words to say, Blessed is the man who comes and, and does all of these things so that the Lord will go and forgive him. David just simply says, Blessed is the man who has his transgressions forgiven. And he cites the acts of the Lord. And we have psalms that are songs that sing that. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's, there's a grace of nothingness that when the Lord brings us to that point, it is an act of His grace for Him to bring us to the point and moment that we understand it is nothing in our hands we bring, but simply to the cross we cling. We just sang this morning, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Those word pictures are word pictures of nothingness, and they celebrate the grace of God. They celebrate being brought to that point where you know and understand, I need a Savior. I need forgiven, and it's not anything that I can do or offer that brings that about. The Apostle Paul would write in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. We don't bring anything to the table. Now these verses that David penned here, verses 1 and 2, as David writes about this nothingness that he brings to the table, are actually used in Romans chapter 4, as the Apostle Paul writes about that very point. That it was not by works that David had his sins forgiven, but it was by God's grace and God's grace alone. So there's a grace of nothingness. There's a grace that we, that we find ourselves receiving as we reach that point and realize, I got nothing to offer and bring to the table. I need everything the Lord has. There's a grace there. And in verse 3 and following, David begins to recall what took place while he knew he had sinned against the Lord and yet refused to confess and repent of it. And as I mentioned, some scholars believe that this went on for the better part of a year, that David was unwilling to come before the Lord and repent of what he had done with Uriah in, in planning and premeditating this man's murder and what he had done with Bathsheba in taking her into his home when he, she wasn't his wife. And he begins, secondly, to 
list for us this grace of godly sorrow. And he writes in verses 3 and 4, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Now that phrase, kept silent, may be a phrase that has some connection to what David said at the end of verse 2, where he writes, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The idea of that last phrase was that you're willing to call it as the Lord calls it. You're willing to see it as the Lord sees it. So you're willing to recognize and acknowledge that I've, I've done some things here. And he then in verse 3 transitions to say, but when I kept silent, when I was unwilling to recognize those things, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David begins to say, when I kept silent, when I refused to acknowledge my sin before you, and he writes this these phrase that is just a staggering one if you, if you consider it, my bones wasted away. There's, there's a few different occurrences, I think five or six different times in the Psalms that that phrase is used, that phrase is used in Psalm 31 verse 10 that we read just a few minutes ago when he talked about his bones wasting away because of his iniquity. I mean, we're, we're talking about a deep physical agony here. He doesn't walk us through all of the specifics and all the characteristics of it But David is attaching the fact that he was unwilling to acknowledge his sin before the Lord. He kept silent in regards to his sin, and there began to be physical side effects that took place as a result of it. And he continues, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. We see the grace of godly sorrow. We're told in the New Testament in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, there's this dynamic as believers that we find ourselves living in where we celebrate the complete and total forgiveness of the Lord, where all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been washed and made clean. We have been forgiven of all of them, and yet we still find ourselves struggling with sin daily, if not hourly, if not even by the minute. And part of the Christian walk, part of the Christian life, part of being a disciple is growing in our relationship with the Lord, learning to confess of those sins, learning to acknowledge them to be what the Lord says that they are, and learning to come before Him because He is gracious and merciful. And the language that David uses in the language here in 1 John 1.8 is language that expresses the idea of an ongoing relationship with the Lord. As John writes and as David writes, I don't believe either one of them have in mind that their, that their salvation before the Lord was somehow in question. But they certainly have in mind the fact that their relationship with the Lord was struggling. And so there's a point there that we need to pause and acknowledge. That if we don't see our relationship with the Lord as indeed a relationship, these truths this morning aren't going to make a lot of sense. 
If we have an idea of the Lord as aloof, as a grandfather, kind of a miser of an old man that's just sitting off in the distance looking to kind of burn people that make mistakes along the way, these truths are not going to make any sense. But if we allow what the scriptures consistently portray to come and help us understand these truths, the Lord is very interested in a relationship with you and I. He's not off in the distance looking to burn us and strike us down with lightning when we make a mistake, but He is very interested in our holiness. He is very interested in us growing in our relationship with Him and not being willing to tolerate sin in our life and desiring to follow Him with everything that we have. And so here John hops into the scene and it's helpful for us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. For a Christian to claim he is sinless or has never asked forgiveness of sins the Bible will say that man, that woman, does not have the truth in them. Verse 10 of 1 John chapter 1 will say the exact same thing one other time and say God's word does not abide in him. So there's something very significant about you and I as believers being willing to call things as the Lord calls them and to see things as the Lord sees them. And David is writing about a grace of godly sorrow. Notice in verse 4, whose hand was heavy upon him. It was the Lord's hand that was heavy upon him. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. We're seeing that everywhere we look right now. I mean, the rain last night kind of gave... Uh, some new life to things, but we're seeing the grass dried up. We're seeing vegetables in the garden that need a little bit more moisture than, than currently they're getting. David's talking about his strength being zapped by the dead dog days of summer heat. And he credits his bones wasting away and his strength being zapped to the hand of the Lord. Now this is a truth that is reiterated in the New Testament as well in 2 Corinthians 7.10. The Apostle Paul writes, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, where worldly grief produces death. What David is writing about in verses 3 and 4 is this grace of godly sorrow. It's what Paul would call godly grief. It's, it's the Lord afflicting him in a certain way to get his attention to lead him back to himself. And that is the major distinguishing point between godly grief and worldly grief, you can see it on the screen and read it in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 7. Worldly grief produces death. Sure, there may be guilt for sin. There may be sorrow about sin or getting caught or maybe a damaged relationship here and there. But what is that guilt? What does that sorrow lead you to? Does it lead you to restoration with the Lord? Does it lead you to restoration with those you may have sinned against? Or does it lead you to isolation away from the Lord? Does it lead you to isolation and unwillingness to seek repentance and forgiveness by those whom you have hurt? 
There's the distinguishing points and characteristics of worldly grief, which produces death, which leads you away from restoration, forgiveness, repentance. And there's godly grief that leads you towards. And David cites and acknowledges that the Lord was causing physical affliction in his life. I just want to very briefly make a point here. Not all physical affliction is the result of unconfessed, unacknowledged sin. That can be a popular line of teaching in certain denominations and by certain individuals. Quite frankly, you probably get to watch them on TV at certain times during the day. That's not David's point. And it would be incorrect of us to press what David is saying to that conclusion. There are certainly physical afflictions, diseases that that you and I experience. I mean, if you walk out of here this morning with a sniffle, I'm not telling you that you have unconfessed sin in your life. But let's also not miss what David is saying. David is saying the Lord brought physical affliction in his life to get his attention. And David celebrates it. Because he was before unwilling to recognize and repent of his sin. But the Lord came and he brought this grace of godly sorrow. And David celebrates the Lord's work in his life. Thirdly, we see the grace of forgiveness. Look at verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my, or the iniquity of my sin. Notice again, you have the same words that verses 1 and 2 had. Iniquity, sin, transgression. You again have the word forgiveness. You again have the word covering. David is now walking us through the point in time when he was willing to acknowledge before the Lord his sin and he marvels at God's grace of forgiveness. David has stopped trying to cover his sin himself, has acknowledged that sin before the Lord and is now celebrating the covering the Lord gives to his sin, the forgiveness that he has received because of his acknowledgement, confession, repentance. Again, we can go to 1 John and read one verse later. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, the acknowledgement, the confessing of our indwelling sin before the Lord and the forgiveness that we receive is based on the nature and character of God. It's based on His faithfulness. It's based on who He is and His justice and His grace and his mercy. And this is what David is walking us through in regards to the grace of forgiveness. And God has promised in his word and demonstrated time and time again that he is gracious to forgive confessed sin because that's who he is. And so David marvels and celebrates the grace of forgiveness. And here then in verses 6 and 7, he takes a break from recounting what he himself went through 
So now giving some commands and some instruction to those who would be listening. Certainly the nation under his reign and rule. Certainly all Jews and Israelites that would follow, that would have read the Psalms. And certainly us as we this morning come and read it as well. David pauses and gives a command to repent. Verse 6, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. I don't think David is certainly interested in, in thinking of time in such a sense that like, well this morning at 11.20 the Lord can be found, but at 11.30 he, he may not be found. I, I'm not sure David's trying to be that specific and precise with us. I, I think David is saying, look, the Lord is, is gracious. Now is the time that he can be found. There is no better time than this moment because he has given you breath. He can be found now. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer. And there's a promise, surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. Verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. David is thinking through how the Lord forgave him and who the Lord is to him in his life, this hiding place. David exhorts and commands the godly to not run away from God as he once did, but to draw near because of who God is and his grace and mercy and protection and deliverance. That's available. You see what David's doing here? In verse 1, he walks through kind of a real broad summary about how great the grace of God is to forgive him of his sin. In verse 2 and 3, he begins to think back about the time where he was unwilling to acknowledge that and how there was, there was difficulty that came about because of that. In verse 5, he transitions to celebrating the grace of the Lord and forgiving that sin and steps in to command us to follow what he did in confessing and repenting and not hiding and ignoring. And he says, come, therefore let everyone who is godly offer a prayer. But not only does God forgive our sin, he also instructs us as well. And what we see in verses 8 and 9 is the grace of God's instruction or the grace of the Lord's instruction. It is no longer David who is speaking here. David is writing on behalf of the Lord. And so it is the Lord that is saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. For those of you that are reading the Psalms this summer, yesterday or today, you would have just finished up Psalm 119. Almost every verse has something to say about the Lord's word and his instruction through it. There may be no better psalm to think about the Lord's instruction through his word than Psalm 119. You have well-known psalms such as, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. You have time and time again. The psalmist writing in Psalm 119, these truths 
of the Lord's instruction and the grace of it. The Lord says, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. See here, the image is with a, a, a horse that has been broken, in, in the best sense, is one that will stand next to you as its owner, as its master, and not run away, and not be spooked or startled by everything or anything that may come near it. But the process of that certainly takes time, and the image that David is using that it's, as the Lord is speaking through him is that we would so know God's word, and so know God through his word, That we wouldn't have to be bridled to stay close to him. That that would be the desire of our heart. That the Lord wouldn't have to somehow restrain us to keep us near him. That we would desire to be near because of who we know him to be. That we would have spent so much time with him receiving his instruction and the grace of his instruction That there would be no other place that we'd want to be. And we wouldn't be like a horse or a mule that does not have understanding. And so you see the grace, God's grace of his instruction. And he's gracious to instruct us so that we may follow and walk closely with him. And this is one of the things that David even writes in Psalm 23. The Lord leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I mean, these truths are everywhere. Well, there's one last grace that David points us towards, and it is the grace of God's steadfast love. And he writes in verse 10, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Lastly, David celebrates the grace of God's steadfast love, and he does so by contrasting two groups of individuals. One would be the wicked, and he says of them, their sorrows are many. But of the one who trusts in the Lord, steadfast love surrounds them. Verse 10 and verse 7 almost could be a mirror image of each other, where you consider that the Lord is a hiding place. The Lord preserves from trouble. The Lord surrounds with shouts of deliverance. His steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. The last grace that David walks us through, points out for us, is the grace of God's steadfast love. The Lord doesn't go anywhere. And these things lead to verse 11, where he writes, Be glad, rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. He crescendos in this whole psalm, swells through verse 10 into verse 11, where he no longer is just celebrating God's grace and mercy in his own life. He now is commanding the assembly and by extension us to do the very same thing, to rejoice, to celebrate, to shout for joy because of God's grace in his life and our lives. And so for you and I, for us to let Psalm 32 
and the Lord to speak through Psalm 32. One of the most pressing questions is, is there unconfessed, unrepented sin in your life? Are you walking knowing that there are things in your life that you have not confessed and you have not repented of? Perhaps there are individuals that you have hurt or the individuals that you have sinned against that you have not gone and sought forgiveness and reconciliation from. David walks us through what the road is like for those unwilling to acknowledge. And he does so celebrating the fact that God didn't let him alone. But he even more celebrates the grace and mercy of God that's available to us as we draw near and as we come and we confess our sin. Because if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse and forgive of all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Psalm 32, David walks through some of these glorious truths that daily impact our lives. Of God's grace and mercy in light of and in response to our sin. And he commands us, one of the three commands in this psalm, is to offer prayer while the Lord may be found. There is no better time than right now, David is saying. God's word is saying. Because God is faithful and just to cleanse and forgive. And so that may look real differently for each one of us. Some of us may just need to do business with God. And there are things that maybe we have been hiding in our heart and harboring in our heart that we, we just know that, that this, is, this is wrong and this does not please the Lord and we need to do business with God. Some of us, that, that business spills out into the relationship and the lives that we, the relationships we have with other people where our sin has affected others as well. And so there's certainly relate, there's business to do with God and there's also business to do with others. So if you need... If you need help navigating that, I'd be more than glad to talk and pray with any one of you this morning, this coming week. But the Lord is inviting you to come near and be clean, to be cleansed of your iniquity, to have your sin forgiven. He's inviting you to come and perhaps have the relationship with Him restored. To have fellowship with Him renewed. Because He's gracious and He's merciful. And so the band's going to lead us in singing about God's grace. And we're going we're gonna to sing the commands of verse 11. We're going to Sing and, and shout and rejoice at His grace. But while we do, 
If there is business to attend to, now is the time. And there is no better time. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your grace in, in, in forgiveness, in godly sorrow, in instruction, in steadfast love. Your grace even bringing us to the point where we, we realize that we don't, we don't bring anything to the table. It's, this is all because of your grace to begin with. So Lord, we want to marvel and rejoice and shout for joy at your grace. Your grace that is greater than all our sin. This marvelous grace. And we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen.